0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Right-Wing Dharma Squad's Episode 9 uh, on Anger. I am your host, Dharma Kirti, joined by some friends.
1: Hello, it's Aura again. And I'm Kagyo.
0: Unfortunately, Storm King couldn't make it. He was teaching the poor, poor people who followed Pure Land Buddhism in Sukhavati, uh, the Pure Land of Amitabha. He's instructing them on Zen, um, which <laughs> is, you know... I'm sure it'll be a great benefit to all involved. Um but uh he'll be, he will be should be back with us next week. In the meantime, we have a special guest um who you may have heard on my appearance uh in the cocktail hour a little while ago. Um but anyway, hopefully he won't make too much of a of a ruckus. Um as uh as we put in the in the title, uh the, the topic today is anger, which I think, you know, it's a timely topic for a lot of reasons is a lot going around and, and i have um some some things that i would like to say and, and some points that i would like to make but first i i if, if it's not uh, if it's okay by you kagu i um i think that we have a really good thing going on with letting aura take it away first and and i really have enjoyed the things that he has said so far so Aura, uh, if you and, and you you mentioned that you have a little bit that you'd like to do so without any further ado
1: I like the way you um, check with Kagu, if it's well, okay yeah. if you do that rather than rather than checking with me if that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: but it's absolutely fine, of course, and because he's right.
1: Um, yeah, man, sure. Uh, I don't have anything like very specific prepared, but what I did write down at the very beginning, you know, what we've done before is just talk about the sort of the bare bones of it. And when we talk about anger, I think the first question that comes up. In is as Buddhist is anger a good thing? Um, and I, I guess I get my soapbox right at the beginning here, and I want to be very clear um, that the answer, the Buddhist answer, is very clear. It's the answer is no. It's not okay. It's not good. Um, it's one of the hindrances. It's one of the core hindrances or defilements, the kleshas. You know, there's a million different ways that gets um, translated. Um, now, I, of course, I'm, we'll leave some wiggle room here to have a good discussion about why does it come up and, and can it be transformed into something more useful or whatever, but in and of itself, um, anger is something to be not necessarily avoided, but something to be conquered, something to be killed. In fact, there's a sutra uh, where they talk about killing anger, uh, which is an interesting way to put it. Um, and uh, in fact, I have, a little bit here from the here it is from the sutras uh this is from pali uh an english translation by Thani book of the kodana sutra about an angry person and it's it's long i'm not going to read the whole thing here but uh the buddha basically lists seven ways in which um an enemy might want to harm his enemy like if How how you different ways you could harm your enemy, and points out uh, that if you made your enemy angry, then this would be the way to create those things. So you can make your enemy uglier. You can make him have poor sleep. You could make your enemy uh, lose money, lose reputation, lose friendships, and everything. And all of these things could be achieved through anger. So when you become angry, and when you let anger dominate you, um, you're doing what your enemy would want to be done to you. Like you're doing your enemy's work for him by becoming angry. And it ends with a little verse, only the first part of which I'll read here, which is an angry person is ugly and sleeps poorly. Gaining a profit, he turns it into a loss. Having done damage with word and deed. A person overwhelmed with anger destroys his wealth. Maddened with anger, he destroys his status. Relatives, friends, and colleagues avoid him. Anger brings loss. Anger inflames the mind he doesn't realize that his danger is born from within an angry person doesn't know his own benefit. An angry person doesn't see the Dharma and it goes on and it's actually the whole thing is quite good. But so there's my unambiguous answer at the very beginning. You know, how does um, how does Buddhism deal with anger in general? Uh, That's what I put it. But as I said at my very start, I think obviously there's a lot of room for nuance and the word anger in English, of course, isn't A perfect translation and has different meanings and um, I saw that you put in your tweet Dharmakirti about uh, about wrath about hate and there's other ways to look at it so there's my intro uh, and I'll seed the floor
0: yeah thank you for that that was perfect and um, we also have a very good addition already from the chat Um, Buddha Linkola notes that the Buddha says holding on to anger is like grasping a hot coal with the intent of throwing it at someone else you are the one who gets burned. And that is absolutely true. That is a very important quote. That is a very important concept. And I, I think um, one of the reasons why um, I, you know, one of the main reasons why I wanted to to talk about this is because it's not, how to say, w- in this thing, right? There's a kind of, um, there's a saying that goes around sometimes. Um, which I don't even completely agree with, but it needs to be qualified. Sorry, don't completely disagree with, but it really needs to be very carefully understood, very carefully qualified, which is that hate is your soul's immune system. I've seen that floating around, especially recently. And I think in, there's a very particular sense in which that's true. And to an ex- to an extent, I think it need like, that's what I would call wrath or in particular Vajra wrath, which is the term that I put in, you know, in the, in the blast out. And, and it's something that I'll, I'll get back to in a second. But what, like, that's that. That can be very easily misunderstood, and I think not only can it be very easily misunderstood. I, I think that for the, basically everyone who's repeating this quote or thinking about it in those terms, um, that they're thinking about it wrong. That they're um, actually just angry, and it's they're angry for understandable reasons. Anger is an understandable, you know, it, it's not even something that needs to be justified. It just is, and it's you know, it, it, the, the the issue really is how to manage it. It's much easier to manage than to prevent it from arising in the first place. Not in, impossible, but You know, and at a certain level, that's the goal is we want to prevent anger, that kind of anger, the desire to hurt. I mean, that's really where I'm going with this is anger in in the way I'm using the word and the way that that this kind of hot coal thing. It's yeah, it's a desire to harm. It's a desire to hurt. It's a malicious. (laughs) Yeah, it's a malicious desire. And and that is what we need to be very carefully on guard against. Um, But. The. The, the the one of the problems or one of the, the i think the sort of systemic um structural problems that we have in clown world is um there's such there's the, the, it's so it's so difficult it's it's structurally impossible for people to react negatively to almost anything but in particular you know when someone says like white people need to be, you know, white people suck and all, and all the litany of things, I don't need to go over them. but You know, when people start bashing white people and do the anti-straight white male thing and, and all of this hatred is directed at you, it is perfectly natural and perfectly normal and to a point or in a certain way, appropriate and correct to respond vigorously, energetically, not just passively kind of taking it, right? That is the, the right thing to do in a certain way. Um, but it, it the 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 trap that we fall into, and one of the real one of the main reasons why I started doing this in the first place. I mean, maybe putting on airs for myself, but it was really like coming up in the past. I want to be a conscience for this movement to some extent, not in the sense of like, you know, just in the sense of being like, look, it's it's not going to help us to just attack other people. I don't even mean like you know the 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 kiwi farms thing or anything like that. I really just mean like holding hatred in your heart for whoever is not going to help you and and it really isn't. I understand why you have why we have these feelings of anger. I'm not saying they're not coming from anywhere understandable or justifiable. I'm just saying if we want a way out, if we want to solve our problems and fix our society and build a sustainable future, anger and hatred, I'm sorry, it's just not going to help us.
2: And that's actually uh, that's actually a very interesting point when you're talking about anger and how it's a danger in, in a way it almost seems like the mirror image of compassion. It's in the common understanding of it uh, among people here in clown world, it's almost like the pathological altruism that people understand to be compassion. It's this highly attached, uh, very samsaric, if you will, dis- attachment to um, negative thoughts, to negative actions. And when, the goal is to try and re- eliminate or reduce all attachments. That kind of anger, you can see very clearly how negative it is for oneself. The interesting thing, though, that I wanted to bring up, and I'm sure you have a lot to say about this, is well, I mean, I guess maybe the Theravada tradition is unambiguous about how any sort of anger whatsoever is bad. Um, at least in the Tibetan tradition, it seems like with the practice of dharmapalas, uh, dharma protectors, which are embodiments of wrathful compassion, uh, it almost seems like there is actually kind of a mirror image to the Buddhist understanding of compassion, where there's a kind of wrath that's similarly unattached uh, to the sort of without the the attachments that you see with like the pathological altruistic version of compassion. And that's something that actually isn't seen as unambiguously bad now admittedly i don't actually have any dharmapala practice of my own under my belt but (laughs) it's uh that's just my understanding of it
0: that's actually a really no your understanding is is i would say correct and uh i mean you know to whatever extent you want to take my say so but um yeah so there's a and, and I actually there, uh, it's not entirely clear. I don't know if it's really unclear to anyone how um, how much of the Tibetan thing. Tibetan Buddhism is is basically a wholesale kind of like they just imported everything from India or at least a snapshot of Indian Buddhism from around the time the Muslims came and killed everyone. <laughs> um, I mean, it had been in Tibet before that happened um, for a couple centuries, but but that was that's like when Tibet really became like a Dharma country um, in, in a, in a lasting way and in the form up until the Chinese came and invaded. Um, but the, um, there's, there was already in India before, like a, at the same time. So between like somewhere around 700, 800 at, at the, at the latest, um, starting then at the latest, um, so probably also earlier, there was practices associated with what we call, uh, wrathful deities, um. And there's a basic division in Buddhism, and this definitely goes back to India, is between peaceful and wrathful deities. Now, a lot of this stuff got more systematized in Tibet and kind of expanded. Um, so, for example, there's a there's a kind of famous book. I'm not a huge fan, and I'm certainly not a fan of the, of the uh, teacher, but Sogyal Rinpoche, who is now disgraced, wrote a book that was um, popular for a while called The Tibetan Book of Living and Dying, which is a play on the Tibetan book of the... Dead, which is actually not a proper translation, but sort of Carl Jung, you know, famously um uh thought that there was something going on in a um in an important Tibetan text called the Bardo Tudro, or the liberation upon hearing in, in the bardo, the state between lives that you read to someone who is deceased, that you, you know, the idea is that they are their consciousness in some sense will be able to hear it and be liberated. And in that text is a description of, you know, like 50 something forget the exact numbers but it's basically like it's like it, it's 108 peaceful and wrathful deities and like there's a few more wrathful than peaceful and um the that system i don't know if it goes all the way back to india not that it necessarily matters but the point sorry i'm getting lost in the minutiae here the point is uh so that yeah, there is this, no, no no the point is the peaceful and wrathful is just to say and 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 the and so we like what we normally think of when we think of buddhas probably is like these peaceful figures and with wrathful it's it's really an interesting thing because you have like as i said going back to india you have really scary kind of like almost demonic in a sense certainly the iconographic representation is demonic um in a sense i mean you have you know people on flames and multiple heads wearing skull necklaces and this kind of stuff and um what what i would the the thing is you have to understand about this is that essentially there are two modes of enlightened activity there are two there's two kind of ways that we can approach this question of like um because in in at least in the vajrayana understanding buddhism is active buddhism is is um like the dharma is not just sort of some kind of passive realization it's something that gets like when you're a part of being a Buddha and essential part of of being enlightened is performing enlightened activity um, of which, you know, there's kind of like uh, there's peaceful activity, you know, healing the sick, you know, um, things, you know, just, m- also purifying.
1: Im- it's also just the image of the uh, the Dharma as a sword that cuts through. Right. The yeah.
0: Or like the sword of Manjushri, the flaming sword of Manjushri that cuts through the darkness of ignorance. And yeah, that's kind yes. of metaphorical, but it's also kind of not. And there's a very, well, actually one of the most important, very early, wrathful buddhist um deities so to speak is a wrathful form of Shri, who's like very very scary his name is yamantaka you can look him up and put him in the show notes but yeah i mean he's like a very scary dude and yes. you know it yes
2: actually it was interesting because one of my first kind of exposures to tibetan buddhism was seeing an image of yamantaka or uh, yamantaka yeah. and i was i was i was absolutely shocked I'm like they're worshiping this
0: that's Buddhist. Yeah, right. <laughs> Buddhism was like about flowers and shit. No, and I, right.
2: It actually inspired me to look into the whole wrathful deity practice and to understand what was going on. And I. and yeah. I, Please go on. Well, no, that's all I was going to comment on the whole Yamantaka thing. There was. I guess when we're trying to understand like the difference between like a peaceful, enlightened activity versus um, wrathful, enlightened activity, if, if I guess a lot of our listeners who might be from a Christian background are thinking with the life of Jesus. Yes, he, he brought Lazarus back from the dead. Yes, he would heal the sick, but he also drove the money changers out of the temple. And that's yes. kind of the that, same embodiment yes. of this action.
0: Absolutely. I actually, I, I had a Christian friend of mine who was, I was trying to explain enlightened activity to once and how I, you know, sort of conceptualized Jesus. And I was like, well, look, Jesus healed the sick. There's four enlightened activities in, in Tibetan, Tibet world. There's there's like pacifying or healing or purifying. There's uh, enriching or, or multiplying, um, you know, making abundance. There's uh, magnetizing, drawing. Beings near you, or, or um, you know, uh, uh, in a certain way, exercising power over their minds. Um, but, but the point is having influence and drawing people close. And then there's like, yeah, essentially wrathful activity or, or, or a, a conquering activity, subjugating activity. And Jesus did all of these. You know, Jesus obviously most famous in a way for healing the sick and and you know purifying people's illnesses and things like that. But he also, I mean, I the lo- think of the, lo- the the loaves and the fi- and the fishes, right? I mean, he had whatever five loaves and three fishes or something. And uh and he multiplied them until they fed a whole crowd of people. And then you know these cucked idiots will say like, oh, the real miracle is the sharing. No, idiot <laughs> the, real, the, the real The real miracle is that he multi you know, he enriched and, and multiplied very little sustenance into an enormous feast. And that's enriching it is yellow activity associated with um retina sambhava is like the 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 Buddha at the head of the the jewel or ratna family and uh and then there's you know he magnetized his disciples you know that was the, his, some of his earliest activity was drawing people near to him um and just with the power of his presence and and then yeah changing the you know draw there's really i don't know that there's like a another great example of that maybe you know some of the kind of Ways that he dealt with the Pharisees um, was was certainly at least at an intellectual level, kind of BTFOing them would would be. I, I think you could maybe consider that a kind of subjugating act Well, depending
1: on your depending on your uh, form of Christianity too, there's the harrowing of hell too. There's like the definitely uh, yeah, that's a great point. Yeah.
2: Or I mean, um, the uh, the him driving the uh, the, the the evil spirits out of that possessed man into the pigs and driving them. Yes, off the Yes,
0: exactly. Yes, that's definitely also yes. Anything having to do with basically conquering, subjugating, con- you know, removing, eliminating demons, yeah. pure, you know, yeah. whatever, liberating yeah. them into the basic space yeah. of dharma or whatever you want to yeah. <laughs> put it. Um, that's also in that would typically fall under that category. So, so it's not like these things, these concepts, are alien to Christianity. It's just. Um, and then, of course, you could say at like a kind of social, historical, political level something like the Crusades, which were a defensive action to you know defend and reclaim territory that had been conquered by the sword of Islam. Like I, I would, I mean, people nowadays it's very unpopular, but like no, that's you know raffle activity or, or subjugating activity in the defense of your society and your religion and the true faith, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, the so the, but the, but the, I guess the broader point I'm making is, is like, you, you have to understand, first of all, everything comes down to motivation. And I think that's really the, the key here is, and, and this is why I, I keep harping on this, but it's really important. Your motivation needs to be, you know, maybe you're not Buddhist, you know, for, for those of you who are, your motivation needs to be bodhicitta, full stop. For those of you who aren't, you should still like look at well, what is bodhicitta. Bodhicitta is the desire for all sentient beings to be free of suffering and the cause of suffering to attain joy and equanimity beyond any kind of con- Concept without any kind of limit. Okay, now that's a lot to ask. At the very least, if you're not Buddhist or you're not familiar with these ideas or whatever, no matter what you are—Christian or atheist or pagan, bigang gang—I don't care. If you're not, um, if your motivation is to hurt, to harm, like you need to be aware of that and you need to work on that because I guarantee you. I mean, if you really look, just spend some time looking at how it makes you feel to have that motivation, to have that in your heart. Like, see. And that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that you have to give up on our political goals. That doesn't mean that you have to give up on on anything that we do. It's really it, the, the first step thing is just to see like why am I doing this? What is really in my heart? What do I? What, where is this really coming from?
1: Yeah, it's a cliche quote that gets tossed around, but it's a really good one about the you know the the real warrior fights not because he hates um, what's in front of him, but because he loves what's behind him. Right. The, you, even even when you're fighting, um, it it needs to be a, out of a, a place of love. And um, yeah, sorry, go on. No, it's okay. You guys pause it. Um, you know what? One thing that's what I was saying earlier about. Uh, 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 you know all the all the ways in which anger can can destroy a person if you hold it in your heart. And what our, our commentator, which by the way, shout out to a great handle there, Buddha Lincola, um, <laughs> uh, about about holding on to the hot coal. You know, you think you're going to burn other people with it, but you're just burning yourself. Um, it's one of the countless ways in which uh, you know modern clown world has messed everything up. Uh, is they take you know there's this idea of um, you know, like overcoming hatred through love, and I actually do think that's the way it's done. I think that's the way it's taught in Buddhism. I think that's the way it's taught in Christianity too. And it, its a sense of just being like a, a million times mightier uh, than pet than petty people, um, and that gets attached in our modern when when you're when you're in public school at least um, or participating in any form of like. Global globalized media or whatever they they hold up Gandhi and Martin Luther King as the examples of this. Um, I don't have a comment right now on Gandhi per se, but you know the MLK example is silly. Um, Apparently, and, the
2: armies have discovered his um, sex life, which is yeah. very entertaining. Uh,
1: that got buried pretty quick. I mean, it's been buried. <laughs> it's been buried forever, <laughs> right? But, um, I was going to say. I mean, it's not like news. It wasn't exactly. I, mean, I guess
0: it was sort of quasi confirmation of. I did not really, know the thing about yeah.
1: him laughing uh, while... No, watching. that was... that, that, was that was being Let me get it out for anybody who hasn't heard this. With him laughing while watching a woman being raped by one of his friends. Yeah. That's Martin Luther King. Um, I didn't know that that detail. Sorry to cut you guys off. But we no, no, no. Right. I agree.
0: I didn't know that detail. I, I think that was a new detail. But, I mean, it didn't... I was sort of like, yeah, I mean, it fits the picture that I sort of... It wasn't...
2: Yeah. It's been well known so, in sort of... Uh, Edgy right wing circles for a long time, but it's only now coming to yeah. the uh, under uh, to the knowledge of people outside of it.
1: Yeah. So, but anyway, even if um, you know, let, let's say, even if those people were as saintly as they are held up to be, um, it's it's still just to me. I don't know. It's it's a sort of limiting thing, or or it's tying it's tying this notion of overcoming uh, hatred through love. It's tying it to a particular set of politics. Um, well I, I would even that, say that, it's tying it to a particular set
0: of tactics and and that's the real yes. problem is yeah is like and this this way. like speaks to the the, the this uh, ongoing sora Amari David French thing which I don't want to get into in too much detail but I think it is relevant um for those. I mean I, I guess maybe for posterity more because presumably anyone listening to this at this moment in time is very well aware of what we're talking about but for posterity or for just for for reference there is a uh an Iranian, I believe, originally, was he Zoroastrian or, or Muslim? He, I believe he was, he was Zoroastrian.
2: I think he was originally Muslim, uh, Shia. Shia, I okay. Think. Anyway, there's this uh, Iranian
0: gentleman named Sora Bamari who recently converted to Catholicism. And there is this, uh, I don't want to get, YouTube just recently uh, changed their policies. So uh, there's a long string of invective that I would love to use, but I, I'm going to refrain. let just consider it all redacted, um, named David French. Um, and, um, basically sora who's, I, I think he's more, I think he knows a lot more than he lets on. He actually, he wrote a book recently also about essentially nationalism and immigration. And while, you know, he's a Brown immigrant, um, he articulates things in he's just correct in a lot of ways. I mean he's clearly very perspicacious and, and understands, you know, what white people's grievances are and why they have them and and says basically, look, if we don't address these there's going to be problems. And you know, you can say well, just exactly like with this David French debate, you know, he has the cultural space to be able to do that because he's a brown immigrant, that's true. At the same time, he's not wrong, and and he's saying correct things, and one of the correct things in this context that he said or the, the the essence of this debate is basically says, look, David French, you have conserved nothing. You are a useless burden. Your winsomeness and you're trying to attempt to be nice and polite and, and whatever has has accomplished absolutely nothing in the political sphere, and then the, the French people will fight back and say, well, you know, he, but he's been winning court cases. And I don't care. It doesn't matter. Like, yeah, you won a couple court cases, so what? They're going to crush – there is a uh, – there was this uh, uh, Southern Baptist florist in in Washington that's now going to face the like end of her business and just crushing debt because she did, wouldn't make flowers for a, a gay way. Wh- I mean, like uh, you can win individual court cases. It doesn't matter. The left doesn't care. And that's the point. These people do not respond the way that nice white people in a nice white Christian society respond. Like it, it, you know, The reason Gandhi had traction and, and was the exact same reason that Martin Luther King, for whatever, had traction is because... If you can create, e- even if it's like to some extent, not I mean you know, obviously we know that there's a media and manipulation and all this kind of stuff, it doesn't matter. if you can create a situation where there's pictures of people who are unarmed walking down the street that are getting blasted by fire hoses, um, you know, it makes you look bad in a certain kind of society. It wouldn't make you look bad in Chinggis Khan society, <laughs> but it makes you look bad in this society. And that's the problem is, is these people like David French are mentally incapable. Of realizing that the society that we live in now, quote unquote, society is is much closer and moving even more close to something like Chingis Khan society than to the nice white society of mid-century Euro-American Christendom, and and that's the bottom line. Is the thing like the reason why that those tactics worked, the reason why that kind of overcoming hate with love in that particular tactical mode worked is because the people who were hating you could be shamed into seeing what it is that they were doing. I just I submit that that's just not true. That is not true of the of the left. They are shameless. They're shameless liars and hypocrites and frauds. And and, and everything starts from there. So the and and they are incapable of having any kind of I mean I don't mean like ontologically incapable. Obviously they, you know, they have minds and minds work a certain way, but at the level of, like, a social movement, at the level of what's happening in a kind of macro scale, they, they just cannot see themselves for what they are, which is demons, as we've discussed. So, like, th- there's th- this whole thing about, like, oh, I'm just going to be like Martin Luther King, and, and you know, I'm going to meekly submit and turn the other cheek, which isn't even what turn the other cheek means. We can get into that later. You know, that's just not going to work because they're just going to slap you with one cheek and then slap you with the other cheek and then stab you through the heart and laugh because yeah. that's who they are.
2: It worked very well in 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 nineteen sixties America, and it worked in nineteen forties uh, India under the British Raj. But how did it work for the Chinese students in nineteen eighty nine? Does work yes, so Exactly. exactly. Tanks?
1: How would it work for Tibetans today in China? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and, but I still I still think though that that at least for me, that is the useful way to think about um, to think about how when you have righteous indignation or, or a sense of injustice, uh, when you want to practice the Dharma with wrathful compassion, um, or any other way you want to phrase it, um, how, how to frame it in my mind is, is indeed to, to think of anger or pettiness, you know, um, resentment or what our, what Nietzsche would call, you know, ressentiment, right. Uh, that, that, that smoldering, holding that, that, that red hot, fire of anger right it is that it can feel good and this is in the sutras too actually that you get this little mini pleasure uh from anger uh but then you uh but then you just burn yourself um so because it does have this little mini pleasure to it getting angry does sort of feel good on one particular level um the way to overcome that is to reframe it in your mind that, that you're going to rise above that. You're going to you're going to become a thousand times bigger than that. Um, and then in that sense, love absolutely is like the way to overcome hatred. It is actually the way to overcome your enemies. Um, but uh, again, not in this way that we're, we're just describing, uh, which A, is put up falsely and B, is a tactic. I think that's a good way of putting it, Dharmakirti. Um, and, and C, you know, it only works in certain contexts, you know, and, and with the enemies that we're dealing with today, is it, it's not going to work. I, I think you put that very, very well. Um, yeah, I'll leave it at that. The Buddha, actually, there's some, I, I have some more quotes, but I, I'll wait, I'll wait to get into them.
2: When you're talking about reframing a a thing about anger as a thing about love one thing that does actually come to mind is it i mean like has been mentioned it's very easy when people come on and say oh i hate white people and i hate white men and straight white men need to be taken out of power and whatnot it's very easy to have hatred towards that person but it also seems very easy to reframe that hatred as a kind of compassion for instance it's not because one hates this person, but because one loves the cultural products of Western civilization. I like uh, say, sh- I, I like, say, the artistic history of Western civilization, the literary tradition of Western civilization, the moral foundation of Western civilization, Something like that. And because in, when you, you're acting out of love for a particular thing, that makes it a lot more healthy, I would think.
0: No, I, I I completely agree. Um it it, it Yeah, I I mean I, I don't know I don't know. In a sense I don't have much to add to that. That's uh I think very well said. Yeah, you, you we have to be concerned. Look, tearing tearing that's not even a hundred. I was going to say tearing things down isn't going to help. That's actually not true. This, this the clown world needs to be torn down. Right. <laughs> depends yeah, it depends on what not we're tearing because, down. Not yeah.
2: Because we hate the people who make up clown right. world. It's because That's right. What they're going to create is a horror show that will harm countless living beings. That's, right.
0: that's right. That's so exactly when, right.
2: It, it's not that I hate immigrants at all. I mean, but do I dislike the idea of thousands of people every year overdosing on opiates or committing suicide because they have a society that's completely forgotten about their needs? That That's...
0: Yeah. It, yeah. That's it's weird. like we talked about on the compassion. This is like idiot compassion, right? Yes. It's, it's you know, it's it. there's this kind of idiotic compassion that I actually think... I mean, there's t- several different tiers of this. There's there's a one tier that's like the cat lady wine ant that they're just idiots. There's another layer that it's like, which is some some overlap, but I think it, it's kind of a distinct phenomenon. Which is, you know, it's uh it's malicious. It's it's I hate these things, but I you know talking about it in this culturally acceptable way about you know love and tolerance and whatever. We're just removing hatred. It gives me. um it gives me a way to indulge in my violent fantasies and in my violent behavior, You know, throwing milkshakes, throwing rocks, throwing eggs, beating people up, slapping them in the face, hitting them with bike locks, I mean, all the things that we've seen Antifa do on, on video. Um, you know, it's a, it provides a kind of culturally, socially acceptable way for me to engage in violent behavior. Um, and, and, and I mean, it doesn't have to rise to that level. I know, I think most people that I know that fit in, into that, and I think of a few people in particular in my life, it's not even it's it's just that they, you know, they have self-loathing, they have self-hatred. These are white people, by the way, not gentile whites, um, who have imbibed this cultural message and they hate themselves and they hate their history and they hate their families. And so what they do is they um sublimate it into like this kind of extreme left-wing politics. And there's a very easy to detect if you know what to look for, just hate, you know, hatred, really, but they, it sort of gets masked in like. This language about love and tolerance and diversity and all that bullshit um so so the question is you know okay yeah what do you do when you're confronted with that and i i don't as i have said repeatedly i don't obviously to be to repeat again it's not that we just sort of sit there and take it but then how do you what does it mean to um to respond in an effective way in a loving way but but in a way that is not at all cuckolded. And I have maybe some ideas, but they're not super well formed. And I'm I'm curious what you all have to say.
2: Well, I'm actually remembering there was a Tibetan, a Buddhist monk in Tibet before Tibetan, before Buddhism was established in the country. And there was a king, and I can't remember the name of either of these two people who was persecuting Buddhism because he was attached to the Bon religion.
0: Langdharma, it was the name of the king.
2: Yeah, yeah. king, Yeah, sorry, go on. And the monk assassinated that king and then ran off and hid basically. And this was seen as a, a good thing to eliminate someone who was persecuting the Dharma.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, that's that's sort of historiographically how that... It was, it was, good, in, it the-
1: was good in Minecraft. <laughs> <laughs> exactly,
0: right. Yes, only we're very... Uh- and uh, yes, just to be clear, there's there's not a you don't do anything we're not endorsing and I could put on my kind of you know, historic we could say like, oh well, you know, this is how the of course the Tibetans would represent you know, the Buddhists would say this about I mean, obviously the Buns have a very different version of this story. Um But uh yeah, uh it's you know the the question of well, or I'm curious, what do you, you first? I mean, I don't want to put you on the spot. Um, yeah, well, I,
1: I, you know what? I wish I wish Storm King were here, first of all, because I love Storm King and I enjoy his company. But also because um, I'm about to say some uh, ch- quote unquote cheesy or cringe stuff and I need my inner Storm King here to tell me. <laughs> don't Dude, give in to that posted, cringe. You yeah, just posted just, cringe, bro. Yeah, yeah, I need him to tell me don't listen to that that voice inside you. Go ahead and speak your speak your truth, baby. So that's what I'm going to do. Um, I think the first thing to do is to live it is to live that love, is to radiate it from yourself as much as you can to truly actually feel um peace and that starts in the morning that starts with your um that starts with meditation, that starts with contemplating the dharma, contemplating the divine um for people who aren't Buddhists and and to really seek happiness for yourself in the most um, basic ways, which is which is to just let there be happiness inside of you when you're out in the world. And that is the first defense. That is the first defense against anger uh, and against acting in in stupid ways, because we we, people act stupid and hateful out of inner weakness, okay? Uh, somebody who's totally secure in what they're doing is not affected on an emotional level um by those things. Now, none of us are are perfect and none of us are buddhas yet. Um but uh and so there of course you're going to have times when you hey, when speak you for yourself, man. No. I'm, I'm <laughs> right on, brother. Right on. I love <laughs> it. Um yeah, so of of course there's going to be times when you don't live up to that totally and and you know, we all have bad days and you know so go easy on yourself on that but in general that should be the main goal that should be the goal is to is to be happy yourself and 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 to spread happiness to others through not only your example but your actions your words your face like this is why the quote i read at the very beginning about um you know anger makes makes people ugly and and if i had read the expanded version of the quote he says something like you know you can have the nicest clothes and you can anoint your beard with oils and all these things, you know, all these old timey Indian things. Um, and it says, and yet your, your face will be ugly if you're full of anger. And I really do believe that to be true. Oh, it's a
0: hundred percent. I mean, you can see it. You see how it twists people's faces up and you see how, like, yes. I mean the same way that, yes. you know, dirty living and, and alcohol over a long period of time messes yes. people's faces up. You can see it in people, you know, if you, if you just angry all the time, it it will change your face. You can see it. It's a hundred percent real. And, so. uh,
1: and what's, what's the gentleman, uh, what's the great um, Tibetan master that you posted in our picture? Uh, our... Kensei
0: Chukilodro, who's like, a, we could put some bio information. He's just a really important, I, like, I want I guess, you to talk about
1: it. Yeah. yeah. I want you to talk about him, but I just wanted his name for now because uh, that picture you posted, that is the picture of a happy person. Like, uh, and it's, he's not a goofy, happy. He's not a, uh, you know, like oh, you know, just, you know, but, <laughs> but there is a radiance coming and that's an old photograph digitized and sent through the internet and i can feel the peace and wisdom and happiness coming out of that face um and it's not because he's beautiful you know like sexy or anything like that he's just there's happiness in that person i can see it and people can see that and feel it in real life so the first thing is that and the second thing is to is to look at people with compassion not to not to be too simplistic about it, but again, I think Storm King would tell me, just go ahead and say it. To see the suffering, to see that when people are full of hate, anger, and rage, even when it's directed at you and your loved ones, it's only because they're unhappy. And many times you're in situations where it's not possible to deflect that through love. You know, you just need to defend yourself, or you just need to get away from that person sometimes is the best thing, um, and not interact with them until you know, that the time is right. But there are many times in which people just are sort of dwelling and, and you know, just sort of stuck in their own little mind traps um, on some political issue, even that they're not even necessarily that married to yet. And you can actually just through like being nice to them um, in a genuine way, not in a condescending way. Um, but, y- y- you know, like if somebody had just had a, a wonderful warm hug from his or her loved one, you know, his wife or his, her husband or, or something that they're, they're filled with this warmth and love and they don't have it in them any at that moment to be spiteful and hateful and angry and everything. Now, a lot of these people don't have loved ones or anything, you know, and that that's part of the reason maybe that they feel this way. Or the they, or they have, you, yeah, sorry, go on, go on. No, I just, uh, just the point is that you, in many small ways throughout the day with everybody you deal with, you can provide that it, for them in a loving and compassionate way. And it feels good to do it. That's the great thing. It's like, it doesn't cost you anything. It, the only, the person who benefits the most from it is actually yourself. Um, and so anyway, it, and, and it also goes for interacting online. It goes with it. I, yeah. I guess I'm going to start repeating myself right now, but that that's, I guess the really, really core thing. And I, I guess it doesn't lead to great political discussion or anything, but I really do honestly think that's the way I do think that's how we win. I really do.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I had this pulled up. I was maybe going to say, maybe we can repeat, but it's funny when, when I first heard it at the end of uh, tedious, I was like, wait, really, this is the quote you're going. I mean, it would made me think higher of them, but you know, when they end, every episode with the quote from Richard Nixon, you know, remember, always give your best, never get discouraged, never be petty. Always remember others may hate you, but those who hate you don't win. Unless you hate them and then you destroy yourself. That's extremely wise words. Those are extremely wise words. And it's I think it's a it's again a credit to credit to those guys Correct. that they make sure to end the show with <laughs> with that. Because it's true. It's true and it's very important. It's something we need to keep in mind. And and yeah, you, you know, this I think about this. Um I, I I um how to say, I'm not a believer. I, I've always, my whole life, I've rejected this idea that, um, you know, the truth is in the middle necessarily. It can be. It often is. But the middle, you know, the, first of all, the middle can cover, you know, a lot of ground between one side and another. And second, sometimes one side is just right. And third of all, you know, specifically when it ta- when it comes to um, negative interactions between people, like, sure, there are plenty of cases where it's just too... Like thugs or whatever, to people with bad motivations and a lot of anger and hate, just kind of going at each other. That definitely happens, but it also happens that even if one person isn't like a hundred percent great, um, you, you know, like oftentimes there is a, a clear kind of aggressor or wrongdoer, someone who's in the wrong more so than the other person, right? Sure. And, and so that creates a situation, a dynamic where it's like, let's say, I mean, cause I've, I've been in this situation, you know, sometimes, um, one time recently that I'll think about, I may talk about more in a second, but where, you know, essentially there's this kind of angry person or aggressor who's like coming at you and okay, you know, on the one hand, there's an extent to which exactly as you said, you need to defend yourself and, and, and at a kind of basic level, you know, especially your physical safety needs to be taken care of. But then, if that's not necessarily directly an issue at the stake at the at the moment, at a certain level, and and I really hesitate to say this because I think it can very easily tip into this kind of just bullshit platitudes, you know, hippies like to repeat. Um, but it really is true. If so much uh, the, the really the key point that we need to be really clear on and distinguish which is extremely hard in the moment um and if, if you can do it that's great if not then try to at least maybe do it afterwards if you're ever in the situation and like n- notice okay what did i do why did i do it how did this happen why am i why did i react this way and, and so on just to try to notice that that's the key point but in any case when you feel defensive when you feel like you're being attacked when you feel like you're being exposed especially when it's unfair and it's unjust right that's your ego okay now that doesn't mean like, we're all, we all have egos. We're not, you know, I'm speaking for myself, we're all, you know, sentient beings here. We're not enlightened. Okay, fine. But, like, so it's not a bad thing. But, but you got to be clear, like, okay, where is this coming? where's this feeling of defensiveness and exposure and, and like, oh my God, I'm being attacked for like a p- completely unjust reasons. Like, it's not to say that you shouldn't respond. It's not even to say that you shouldn't respond aggressively. It's to say you have to recognize that's coming from my ego. And what I've noticed, and, and I encourage everyone to try this at home, but I mean, it's not coming from me. It's something that I heard. And, you know, I thought about and then I tried to put it into practice and I've noticed that I think it's it's correct is when you're being attacked. Like I had a um, (laughs) I don't want to say too much um, for a variety of reasons, but there was a let's say a Dharma brother um, who came to me with a Dharma question, essentially. And um, he was um, he was he was he sort of wanted clarification on something. And so I started clarifying it for him. And he instantly became extremely angry and extremely defensive and started talking about how I didn't know anything and all of this stuff. And it was very, I mean, I, I actually talked about it later with a kind of senior teacher. Although I was like, and I, you know, I was sort of like, well, this person was saying this, and I and I didn't really, you know, I, I want to make sure that I was not completely deluded myself. The teacher was like, No, 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 you you were completely right. But did you, how did you his question was like, How did you respond? And I'm like, well. You know, I basically I tried to just sort of defuse the situation and he's like, yeah, that's the correct approach, because um, when you react aggressively, right, unless it's sort of in a very like it's it's not just about that moment. I think that's um, something that we need to keep in mind. You know, there can be benefits to reacting aggressively and it's not something that we should never do. But but part of what it means to be wise, I think a very important part of what it means to be wise and we should all be aspiring to be more wise is to understand that there are consequences that ramify beyond the present moment and that all of these things, you know, have effects that reach far into the future. And so when we, you know, unless we have a, a kind of, that kind of panoramic perspective, like it, it can be hard to understand how these things are gonna affect ourselves and others in the future. And and particularly when it comes to this, you know, very delicate political and social moment, um, you know, it, it's not to say you shouldn't defend yourself. It's not even to say you shouldn't, you know, defend yourself aggressively, but we have to be clear on, you know, is this really the right course of action at this particular moment and why? Where is this coming from from within myself? I know I'm repeating myself, but I think it's just something that needs to no, be No, it's known. a really I'm good emphasized. point.
1: It's, yeah, it's a really good, really strong point, man. Um the <clears throat> there's a little uh uh Story from the sutras where one of this, one of the like servants of some king, uh, left him and went to become a monk under the Buddha. And so this king became, or you know, local lord or whatever, became angry, went to the Buddha and was like, just a just a tirade of angry, harsh words at the Buddha. And the, the Buddha's response: By the way, you guys ever? Get yeah, I love like, the, I know this sutra. I love this sutra. Sorry, go on. By the way, what sometimes. I, Well, uh, I was about to say the obvious and say to wish that I could have met the Buddha. Um, That's true for many, many, many reasons, of course. But um, there is this almost like sometimes it's not smug. What's the word I'm looking for? With with people who are really like angry in the sutras or or really just deluded or whatever, the, the way the Buddha responds sometimes is so funny to me because it's so like, Am I talking yeah, way yeah. out of turn here? Like do you guys know what I'm No, talking no, no. About? I, I I no,
0: he Yeah, I get what you're saying. It's it, we often sort of mythologize it and it, particularly in the Mahayana I think we sort of like, you know, the Buddha basically becomes this kind of incomprehensible god, but yeah. I mean, if anyone who's interacting sometimes, yeah, the, it's it, yeah. Yeah.
1: And there's a way that Socrates does it in Plato. That's like annoying. Sometimes I'm like, Oh, shut up. Socrates, you <laughs> yeah, know, like, right. like, <laughs> But I don't know, maybe, maybe it's because of my prior biases, but the way that Buddha does it, at least the way it's reported in the sutras, I'm always like, <laughs> like, it's funny to me anyway. So this, this, this sutra, very, very briefly, he's coming at the Buddha and he's say he's saying all these bad things to him and, and angry. And, and the Buddha's like, my friend, you know when you have when guests come to visit you at your palace or whatever, uh, do you offer them food and everything and nice things to eat? And he's like, well, yes. And he says, and if they decline the nice food and everything, to whom does that food belong? Uh, and the, the king's like, well, then it belongs to me. He's like, well, likewise, when you offer all of these like harsh words and everything to me and all this hate and everything, I I just decline to accept it. Yeah. So <laughs> just brilliant. So I mean, to that, who? Yeah. So. So, so, to whom would you say that belongs now? You know, <laughs> you know like, it belongs to yeah, you, buddy. Pulling,
0: and, pulling the pants off this guy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but in like yeah the most kind, know? gentle. Yeah, that's how we want to aspire to be, and it's really tough. I mean, and again, because th- this is the kind of thing I'm talking about. That then becomes not just like in that moment, because you got okay. Put yourself in that moment. In that moment, like because the Buddha surrounded by disciples, and like they're seeing like, okay, so what? How's he going to react? Well, he reacts he just doesn't he's like there's nothing even and that's of course what it means to be buddha ultimately is you just there's nothing even there to attack there's nothing like you're, you're 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 you know trying to stab at a shadow there's just absolutely nothing it's like what are you even doing man but but in in terms of how it appears to other sentient beings it's like okay that then becomes a story an instructive story a funny story something that we repeat thousands of years later like oh wow you know Someone came and did all that. Just was just like laying into him and just speaking so nasty and cursing him out, and and now we're like laughing about it. Twenty five hundred years later, about like, see, this is what you can do. And then if you do it in this way, with that level of wisdom and that level of insight and that level of compassion, then you become a model for 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 people. Because I mean, again, put yourself in the now put yourself in the Brahmin's shoes. Uh, you know, could you imagine like you go to someone and you're like, you fucking motherfucker, piece of shit, blah 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 blah, and then they just sort of. <laughs> De- depants you in this such a just like thorough but also gentle way yeah. like you know and and then you just feel embarrassed you're like oh i guess i'll go home now like the whole thing is just collapses it's diffused and 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 what a powerful lesson right and that i mean again okay that's the buddha we're not we're not there yet but we can sort of model that we can we can approach it and that is exactly that is the most effective kind of
1: thing you can do I heard you take a breath, you
2: I'm actually kind of reminded for a minute. Um, the in, initially Devadatta. I'm. You're. I'm. I'm. Who I'm sure you're familiar with that whole story. How he tried several times to kill the Buddha, after after being refused, like some kind of. I think it was like he was refused a leadership position of some sort in the Sangha, and the Buddha compared him to spittle, if I recall correctly. And his the Buddha's reaction was not of anger. It was just kind of a. Very nonplussed, I guess is the best term for it. He he knew what was going on, but there was no like aggressively angry reaction whatsoever, just a sort of awareness of it. And he knew what was going to happen. And eventually, I guess the end is he's dragged off to Devadatta, was dragged off to the hell realms. And uh, yeah, he just knew. I mean,
0: I think there's very, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I, I don't know what the, I don't, I'm actually unfamiliar with stories about Devadatta's ultimate fate. Um, I don't know. Yeah, but it is true. He he was like, he's kind of the archetypical like, like bad Buddha. Like he's this is like the model for bad behavior. Like if you're acting like David Dutta, like something wrong with you, and you need to cool it.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, like the five, uh, it's it's some some of the five uh, sins that are guaranteed to give you rebirth in the lowest level of the hell realms in the next. I mean. trying to kill, uh, killing an Arhat, trying to drawing blood from an enlightened being, or uh, trying to create a a schism in the Sangha. It's three of the five, at least. Exactly. Yeah,
0: Yeah, exactly. That's actually a good point. Yes, that's absolutely true. Um, but anyway, yeah. Another way to phrase
1: this is, is, um, and again, it's, it's so important to, you know, to be doing it with good humor and and with the sense of expansiveness and everything to not become condescending, but to use the example of, you know, when, uh, when a little child is, is, um, acting out or something, you know, um, generally you don't get angry. You know what I mean? I mean, sometimes, sometimes what's needed is, you know, stern words or something, but you don't like lose your cool or you shouldn't at least with a, say a three-year-old for example. Um, and the, the more peaceful you are and the more sort of wise and enlightened and and happy, I, I would say, uh, that you are, the, the more sort of, bad behavior you can tolerate while still, you know, while still acting in, in a maybe sometimes a stern way or whatever. And um, again, what I was saying about like, if you meet people who are being sort of like to take it back to political stuff, um, you know, if you if you there's there some people who are like determined foes. Um, and maybe if I were a Buddha, I'd be able to like dispel that or whatever, but I, I'm not there yet. But a lot of people really aren't that they aren't as committed as they think they are um and well let me just put it this way when we did our first show uh we gave our, our background stories and everything and i gave a you know a, a sort of self-deprecating slightly humorous uh oh, i don't know how humorous it was but uh, i it was self-deprecating talking about oh i was a college marxist and everything but I, i'm sort of el- i was sort of eliding over like some of the real you know i was I don't think I was ever a really spiteful or hateful person because, frankly, I I was pretty happy in general. But I I was very committed to some pretty ugly ideas at one point in my life that I now look back on uh, with a bit of shame, to be honest. Um, I don't dwell on it. I don't beat myself up over it. But I I do regret, you know, some of my past positions and stuff. But I changed. Right. I changed. Um, and I, I'm sure there are things that I hold now or, or you know, resentments or angers that I carry around in my heart today that, you know, with with blessings and with, you know, practice and everything um, that I can hopefully clear out of my heart so that 10 years from now, I look back and and say, well, I'm I'm more peaceful than I was then. So it is possible. And not only possible, but very frequent that people do actually change their minds. So, just because somebody's like your political opponent uh, on a particular issue and they're arguing with about it, did, like even though we just had our last episode on demons and talked about how serious the real threats are and everything, if you guys recall that episode, I was at pains to sort of say, you know, there's there's also just this low level stuff. That is really bad in aggregate, but each individual person isn't really that bad. Do you know what I mean? Um, and so I, I think it's important to keep that in mind and not have too much spite and disdain for any one individual bugman. Uh, but but while 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 maintaining your your disdain for bug manism in general, for example.
0: Yeah, I mean, lo- you know, love the sinner, hate the sin is also, I think, good advice and. Uh, profound message um something we should keep in mind and i, I kind of see it that way and it's, it's like i think i mean this is a good point that um that mike enoch has been making recently is you know at, at, a, at an individual level you know we're all responsible and you can sort of say like people you know make bad choices etc cetera, etc cetera. but What, you know, you you can't see, and I think that, you know, there's a kind of cheesy way people often talk about dependent origination. Maybe we can have a future episode on it, although it's kind of a tough topic to talk about in certain ways. But anyway, you know, part of what it means to say that all phenomena are interrelated and dependently originated is precisely to say that people don't make choices in a vacuum and people don't live their lives in a vacuum and you know people respond to the incentives that are put before them and the disincentives that are put before them so yeah i mean it's not you could say like any individual bug man you know is it's not that to say that what they're doing is okay but this is the their products of the cult most this this is i think the thing you know and this this took like a long time for me because i think a lot like you i was sort of like a kind of left libertarian ish kind of you know guy for a while and um then i started thinking about things from you know i mean as you get older you start thinking about things differently of course and uh what i realized was you know it, people are very much products of their society and their culture i mean you have obviously you're always going to have kind of outliers um typically you know often the the kind of smarter people are going to be outliers But even then, it's like, you know, most people are just, you know, going to be to a very large extent products of their environment. Um, And so, you know, it doesn't really help us to like to hate on any individual to sort of be like to, 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 to just be like, oh, this person is, you know, it. it's like the it's like the inverse of Naxalt, right it's like it's it's true that that not all X are like that but that doesn't actually even matter because systemically X's tend to be a certain way well just by the same like okay well why right and and unless you start addressing things at that level you're never going to get anywhere and you're never going to get anywhere by sort of saying you know yes you know bug men are a, (laughs) a problem but but it, it doesn't, it doesn't you know, if you see some bug man and you, it's just like, this is, this is the kind of thing. And I think it, it gets back to like issues that like Borzo and people talk about, you know, it's you see the guy with the Star Wars trailer. Right. And we all did our kind of two minutes mockery of the guy with the Star Wars. You know, this guy who saw the trailer for the new Star Wars shit and he was like crying or whatever. And it's funny. I mean, it, it, I laughed. I saw the thing. I was like, who, what the fuck? I participated in that. I honestly
1: thought that it was a joke at first.
0: Yeah, sure. I mean, I think, yeah, right. Yeah, because it's so ludicrous. But, but the key, the, the, I think the, what I'm saying is, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't help. Like, what is it really, at, at a certain level, you can say, okay, well, we can hold him up as a kind of like a, a symbol of, you know, the, he, he is kind of this condensed version of, you know, what is happening in Bugman world. But. Like making fun of him or thinking, you know, particularly or even even at that level of like, you know, he's a kind of way to talk about or think about bug and bug men in general. Um, you know, it doesn't it doesn't really what does it really gain us? Right. What is it? I mean, it, you know, at a certain level, it gains us a way to talk about or think about stuff. But but really, that's not why people are doing it. They're doing it because they think they're superior. I did it because I thought I was superior. You know, yeah, I'm yeah. He, he's caught in this thing. And, and that doesn't help me. That just doesn't help me.
2: Well, I think a lot of bug men, like you said, they're essentially a product of the culture they're from. They're responding to the incentives they're from. Uh, They are the way they are today because they get marketing messages that push them towards this kind of apathetic approach towards religion with consumer culture replacing it. So you have your brunch and your craft beer and this is your Sunday activity now if there was a different system in place, they wouldn't be bug men. They would be responding to it. It's just like basically you throw them in a river and they'll float in whatever direction the yes. current takes them.
0: And that's why it's so important that we take back power, right? Yes. Because when we when we have power, then we can create, then we, we we make a system that is in line with reality that creates incentives that are healthy, that lead people towards happiness and enlightenment and salvation rather than whatever the fuck we're heading towards now.
2: It's like Surabh Amari um, was saying, it's, I mean, yes, today you see Roe v. Wade might have a slight majority of support, but if you reversed it and you took back power, you'd suddenly see a lot of people change their minds because that's yes. what happens.
0: Yes. Um, we have a great question from uh something in the chat, Tim K- Tim Kane, which I think is funny. But uh he says, do you have compassion for the bug men? I, I mean... I think we all do. I am maybe speaking for everyone here and I'm curious to hear other people's thoughts. But yeah, of course I have I have comp I, I mean I said this in a previous episode. I'll say this again. And and I got I was getting some pushback from from gay Tetsuo on Twitter who's a kind of interesting gad I mean I like him and he's a, he's a he's a pure land guy, I think Jodo Shinshu and and they um um kind of a gadfly in certain ways, which is fine. I, I I like that. I'm a gadfly myself uh on occasion. But you know, he was saying like, "Oh, do you think it's compatible with Buddhism to like be dunking on like, you know, the the Jews and the blacks and blah, blah, blah all the time. I'm like, first of all, I don't, I don't look at it that way. But, but beyond that, it's like, yeah, I, I conclude, I try to conclude. I mean, I typically succeed in remembering whenever I'm doing a, you know, daily practice session, whenever, like I make a specific point out of the people that I consider my, um, political opponents and enemies and the people even particularly particularly the people that bear me and my family and my people my ethnos my race ill will right i make a particular point out of dedicating my merit that i've accumulated and the roots of my merit whatever virtue i've managed to like, not just like good things that I've done, but to whatever extent I've managed within myself to reorient my selfish impulses into good impulses. Those are called the roots of virtue. And to dedicate, not just the merit that we accomplish, not just the virtue, but the roots of virtue, dedicate that to our enemies. That's what I try to do every day. And I'm not saying that I'm good at it. Sorry, go on, yeah. yeah.
1: I I would say that um, intellectually, yes, I absolutely have compassion for the bug men uh i think that something i need to do better is being more active with it um and you know part of the problem of course is if you get snippets through twitter or whatever uh or through social media or the internet in general like for example this guy the star wars uh crying guy or whatever you know if that's if that's what you see of somebody like oh my god you know like just oh this is just this is embarrassing how can you call yourself a grown man you know and uh you know like you're saying you know people just dunking on him you know left and right um that's very easy to do especially because you don't see i will note actually something interesting i don't even remember what it was but the next day that guy was making fun of himself in a very public way and oh and i didn't kind see of, that
0: that's funny yeah, yeah and i
1: wish i could remember that exactly what he did but he he obviously had realized that everybody but not everybody but many <laughs> many many people thought it was totally absurd and and mockable and everything and he he made it known he's like yeah yeah i see your point that is pretty dumb like and it immediately humanized him of course you know um i still think he's ridiculous for doing that and and should you know re-examine some of his priorities or whatever but whatever it's his life not mine and when you it is possible to humanize people like that and just so in the daily in daily life away from the internet uh just walking in the street interacting with people or whatever um it is absolutely a goal of mine to have compassion for all sentient beings, but that has to start with the ones you actually encounter. So I, I also yes. dedicate my ma- merit on the pillow, uh, Dharma Kirti, um, and it often feels very abstract. I'm just speaking from my own experience. Like sure, it, sure. It's something I've been taught to go through, and I do go through it, and I see the point. And sometimes I actually feel something really interesting from that, and something very good and positive. But I, a lot I, of times, I mean, it, I don't, sorry, a lot here. of times it's just an abstraction, right? Um, and, yeah, but sure. the real the real the real test is to go out into life and to see the divine nature and to see the Buddha nature of every person you interact with, even the worst of the worst, and to have compassion for them as sentient beings. Everybody wants to be happy. Every single being desires happiness. Desperately.
0: Yep. Desperately desires happiness. And,
1: That's right.
2: And it's like I was saying and, earlier, I mean, with with the bug man, it's, it's somewhat, when you understand the bug man is a symptom of the culture we live in and is really just reacting to the stimuli they're receiving, to the cultural programming they're receiving, it's 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 a lot easier to have compassion for them. And I certainly do because I understand, you know, if they had been born 50 or 100 years before, they probably wouldn't be bug men. And So in that respect, yes, I do have compassion for them.
0: Hmm. Okay. Well, I, I don't know that I have a whole lot more, um, to add. Do you guys
1: have more you want to say? No, except that, um, I really enjoy having these talks, uh, because it's, it's a great way to clarify what's going on in my own head. You know, I think we said this before we started recording that, um, I said, "Oh, I've got this little spiel I could say at the beginning, but then I don't know what else I'm going to say." And you know, questions <laughs> like that from uh, from Tim Kaine, from Governor Tim Kaine, there um, are or was he a senator? He's a governor, right? And anyway, I think he was. Um,
0: a, I think he was both. I think he was a governor and became a senator. Or oh, something. Yeah, anyway, yeah, yeah. That.
1: yeah, yeah. Well, now he now he's a YouTube questioner, so it's good. Um, <laughs> uh, questions like that are really good um, uh, because they make you stop and respond, and then. You know, you, if you're being honest with yourself, uh, then you then you start questioning your response, maybe a little bit, and trying to clarify it. So I, I find these these talks uh, really helpful for me. Yeah,
2: I do as well. I mean, it's it, it is rare to have an honest and uncensored conversation these days, especially and within Buddhism, where of course the culture tends to be. Pretty hard to the left, so it requires a lot of careful words and self censorship. So that's always very nice.
0: Um, yeah, the the only thing I guess I wanted to add was one real, real quick as we're as we're maybe concluding as a kind of note on that is um, it's, inter- it's definitely it can be abstract in my experience. And and as I'm talking through it, I'm noticing you know maybe it can be even a bit abstract for me in the sense of um, thinking about things, kind of you know dedicating to. Groups without necessarily thinking about any particular individual, um, which is a problem. It could kind of, you know, this telescope. It's, uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. Point is, I, in my experience, just, you know, throwing it out there is um, dedicating merit in that sense to me is often like just the, the best part of practice. It really, to me, is like, is where I feel everything kind of like that moment of peace, that moment of tranquility, that moment of can joy. I, yeah, please go on. You? Can I ask yeah. you what is
1: the what does that look like? Like um, just uh, technically speaking, what what do you do, and when? At the end of your <laughs> sit or what?
0: Yeah, at the end of a formal session, typically. So typically, there's Buddhist practice is structured with beginning, middle, and end. And the beginning is what's called taking refuge, which is what I put at the um, the sound at the beginning of every episode that we put on the RSS feed for download. Is um, I take refuge in the Buddha, I take refuge in the Dharma, I take refuge in the Sangha. Maybe we could talk about this a little more at some time in an episode. But it's basically saying, you know, I have I'm in this karmic situation where I'm kind of lost without a guide, but there is a guide. It's the Buddha, and there's taught the way out. That's the teaching, and there's people that I need, you know, to talk with and have a community with. That can help and that's the sangha and so i go for refuge in these three jewels and then you do whatever it is you're doing meditation you know breathing or sadhana practice you know visualizing yourself as a deity or whatever it is that you're doing um that's the main part and you know obviously the most of it and then at the end there's what's called dedicating merit which is this idea that um you there's a kind of common teaching where if you you know you because because practicing meditation and so and so on is very very virtuous it's like the most virtuous thing you can do really um but that virtue can go away. It can be actually lost or destroyed. Um, they say a single moment of anger can destroy eons of virtue. So the way that you prevent that from happening, the way you prevent it from deteriorating and from being lost, is you say, okay, rather than um, keep this for myself or just sort of let it go up but then maybe go down, is I'm going to take that. And and I, I you really, it, in my experience, it's like the more, like, the more that you think of it in a very real way, the more you think of it in a way that's like, uh, like I'm actually doing. You have to really believe, and it's true. I mean, I I, I would defend that you this actually is happening. Um, and you say like, okay, well, I did this thing. It's really virtuous, or to whatever extent. Maybe you like, maybe, you know, especially when you're starting, or even not. You know, sometimes I I just I have, you know, I'm like oh, I didn't do much. It was you know three minutes or something. But but even so, it's a little. It's an incremental step it's a step in the right direction and that is important it's 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 a step in the right direction you say okay this good step that i took i'm not going to keep it for myself i'm going to dedicate it i'm going to say i rather than just keeping this is like something that's going to benefit me i want this to benefit all sentient beings and you you generate this motivation of i take this thing that i did that's good but i don't want it to the good results of that to just be me i mean the good results i want it absolutely everyone throughout time and space And, and, um, I find it helpful, um, coming out of, you know, the Tibetan thing, I visualize that as rainbow light, which I guess now in, in, uh, in, uh, redacted month, uh, is, you know, reclaiming, (laughs) reclaiming the rainbow. Um, heck yeah, man and and be like look okay this is rainbow light that is touching all sentient beings everywhere this like this virtue is like with rainbow light and it's showing absolutely everywhere and and purifying their illnesses and their obscurations and bringing them close one little incremental step closer to enlightenment because there is power in what i've done and that power is now
1: touching everyone that's how i look at it it's incredibly affirmative you know it's it's
0: as I said, when I do that, it's like, I mean, when I, especially when I do it well and I've done it, which I find is usually when I'm not too worried about whether I'm doing it well or not. But, right. you know, it, 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 there's nothing that compares to, like, the sensation of, you know, when you feel like, okay, I've, I've now dedicated that. I mean, it's just, I suggest everyone try it. You don't have to, like, quote unquote, be Buddhist to do that. And I, I think, you know, you'll, you'll be, you you may be surprised by what you find.
1: I go through a bit of a rote thing um, at the beginning of all my formal sits. Um and it's, uh, I say rote because sometimes it feels very rote and I just force myself to go through it because this is the commitment that I've made and what I've been taught. Um, but often it's not rote, often it's incredibly liberating. Um, one of the main things that can get in the way of concentration, meditation is any, is lingering, is resentment, is anger in fact, right? Um, people, you know, lust is another example of, of one of the hindrances, but, uh, generally that doesn't tend to come up so much when you're sitting at least when i'm sitting that's not so much of a problem uh but if you are sitting there stewing over something it it can really get in the way of things um and one antidote to that um and that's this isn't the only reason to do that but that's one of the reasons given to do it It, it, the antidote is you sit down and you say may i be may i have happiness and the causes of happiness may i be free from suffering and the causes of suffering and then just expand the circle outwards to people that you find easy to love um which i usually but although that can be very problematic for some people if you know because a lot of times family can be a source of a lot of you know
0: well uh, i mean the you know fucking freudian shit just fucked everybody's shit up (laughs) fam no like no kidding
1: but but i do it anyway and actually you know i i you know i i don't have a you know I, It's not like I've never had problems with members of my family, but uh, it's pretty easy to, when you when you practice this. It's pretty easy to be like, wow, I really actually love these people, and I'm so grateful to them for everything, you know. Um, and then you can expand it out. I expand it out to friends, or like if uh, you know, I travel a lot, and I think about the people in the community that I'm currently a guest in, um, and I thank them, and I and then I expand it outwards to sort of, you know, like the, maybe everybody on this continent be happy, and then maybe everybody on this planet, and then everybody all beings throughout time and space have happiness and the causes of happiness and be free from suffering and the causes of suffering. And like I said, sometimes it's very rote when I do it. I can't, I don't have a lot of feeling behind it. Other times when I do that, I'm, I really feel, I'm like, wow, I actually really want this. (laughs) I really want this, you know, and it's such a good feeling because a, I feel like I'm, I'm helping just whatever tiny little bit that I can. I'm helping by sending that intention out. And also Again, not to be you know so selfish about things, but it's it's a good kind of selfishness. Also, you know, you feel this this lifting uh, of your own spirit because you can recognize the goodness in yourself as somebody who in, in your practice dharma who's sending out rainbow energy of light, even if it was a tiny bit of merit you generated or a lot of merit. Um, it, it, it doesn't re- matter. The point is
0: the point is that it doesn't matter. Sorry, go on.
1: Yes, exactly. Um, and and but it's also re- It's it's also then you can look back on yourself. And I know this isn't the point, but it happens anyway, at least in my experience. You're like, yeah, I am the kind of person who dedicates merit to other people. And you you can reframe because it's easy to get down on yourself in life sometimes. And it's good to remember that like I am generating merit and I am, I can help other people. I can do this. And then it's easier to also translate into like more mundane and you know practically uh, measurable things in you know in terms of being generous with your time, your energy, et cetera, um, and being loving in in day-to-day life when you sort of formalize it in your religious practice too. Does that make sense? Makes perfect sense,
0: and I think it's a great place to end. Um, Kaguya, do you have any final, final closing thoughts?
2: Well, I mean, what does seem interesting to me, I've been under the impression that dedication of merit was very specifically a Mahayana practice, but that's because the goal with Mahayana is to assist all living beings to gain enlightenment that's the end goal. And so when you're dedicating merit, you're kind of pushing it in that correct direction. And that's at least my understanding for why that's done. I think it's a beautiful thing.
0: Yeah, I, it's a it's a that's a whole thing there. We can maybe talk about it another time. Um, yes. But yeah, it's it, I think it's in, it's not just Mahayana. It's everyone. And it's
1: really, really important. And I think it's a DK good, has to good... dedicate some of his love and attention to another being right. now.
0: Yeah, he's, uh, <laughs> he's somebody just broke up from his nappy. So uh, I'm gonna take it from my uh, family circle first and um, catch yeah, you all later. Yeah. Thank you, everyone, so much for uh, participating. And um, thank you, Aura and Kagyu, Uh Hope to see everybody next week. Goodbye. Peace. Goodbye.